And so we come completely dependent, completely vulnerable, completely helpless today. We ask that you would remind us once again of all of your goodness, that you would come today and take us in. Take us into all of your promises that you have sworn to us in Jesus. And so today we ask that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. If you have a Bible available, you may find it helpful to turn to Psalm 27. As 2020 comes to a close, perhaps many of us are relieved to see this year in the rearview mirror. It's been a year of social upheaval. It's a year that raised challenging questions about the complex history of our nation, particularly when it pertains to race. People deeply divided in opinions and perspectives. It's been a year complicated by political turmoil, an election year, it's never a friendly one, but a hotly contested election full of slogans and venom and ongoing strife, a year of deep divisions. It's been a year on top of that of economic volatility, the stock market rising and falling unpredictably on Monday mornings. There have been job losses. Businesses were shut down and futures were somewhat uncertain. How was all this going to unfold? It's been a year of personal loss for some of us which loved ones and friends passed away from sickness. And it's been a year marked by a global pandemic, unprecedented in our lifetime, the disease we know as COVID-19. There are fears, there are inconveniences, there are concerns about education. The anxieties touch every part of life from the pandemic. Daily life is complicated with face masks, quarantines, and social distancing. It has been a year full. It's unpredictable, and it's been uncertain. We haven't known exactly what the next day brings. But in all this chaos and in all of this uncertainty, in all of this confusion, I would also remind you today that there's also a gift for us. That our loving Father, behind all of this difficulty, has a gift. Because it is precisely in these moments where there is such chaos, where there is so much uncertainty, where there is so much that is unpredictable, it's here in that place that we learn dependence, that we learn about vulnerability, and that we learn at last to wait on God. You see, there's no other crux in which we can find ourselves that will teach us these things. And so through the season of Advent, we've explored this idea of waiting on God, and we've done so through the Psalms. Our Psalm today, Psalm 27, is on this theme of waiting. If you look with me at the last verse, you find the theme of the entire Psalm, a Psalm that is sat in the context there of uncertainty, and then the final exhortation, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And so this morning, ahead of our celebration of the Lord's Supper, what we will do is ask the simple question, once again, what does it 
look like for us to wait on God? And especially when our circumstances are so uncertain. The psalmist mentions adversaries and enemies. He mentions trouble that is unspecified. He mentions a pack of hounds hunting him down to devour his flesh. Isn't this how you feel after 2020? Psalm 27 speaks to all of these uncertainties and guides us in the way as to what it means to wait. And so two things that we'll focus on this morning. First, in waiting... We must learn to call on God for help. Verse 7 states it explicitly. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. And friends, this is what uncertainty does for us. It brings us into the experience of our weakness. It brings us into the experience of our helplessness. It brings us into the experience of our vulnerability. And when we're brought into that experience, we must make a choice about how we will respond. You see, because there's many potential choices. No matter how much theology we know, or that we've learned, or that we've memorized, no much how, how much experience we have in the church, no matter how long we've known about God, or even known God, when we experience all of that weakness, and all of that vulnerability, we have to make a choice about how we will respond. Because we can descend into anxious worry and concern. When we do so, we try to gain control over the circumstances by outplanning and outgaming it, and we fret. We can also turn away in stoic indifference, act like it doesn't matter at all, bury our head, and say everyone else is just being a worrywart. We can also turn in anger, and our anger too can be derived to give us a sense of control over things. Or, we can turn to God, a quite different response. And in the midst of all the uncertainty that we have in our world and in our lives that we face and encounter, God's invitation to us is to turn to him, to trust him. You see, because trust is active and trust is real, precisely when we're aware of vulnerability and weakness. This was when trust is actually being worked out. And the main question for us, though, is how do we get there? Psalm 27 has an intriguing two-part structure. The first six verses followed by the next eight. The first six verses begin with a confession of faith. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The second half of the psalm is the request for help. And what's critical for us in understanding the structure of the psalm is that the confession of faith is what informs then the petition, the cry for help. See, the psalm begins with this announcement that God is light 
God is salvation. God is refuge for us. And this is who he is in Jesus. He has brought light into the world. He's brought salvation to those who are helpless and hopeless and could do nothing for themselves. He's a refuge. Each and every day, he stands ready to take us in. And it's from this confession that we find in the first six verses that the psalmist then turns to make his supplication to God, to cry out to him for help. Because he knows who God is, because he understands what God has done in the past, because he's received the revelation and the grace of God in his life, he can now turn to God. The psalmist captures it this way in verse 8. You have said, God, seek my face. And so what does the psalmist do? Your face, O Lord, do I seek. He responds to the initiation of God, building from the confidence of his confession of faith to turn and to look to God. And so the sustained confession of confidence in God, declared in the midst of a broken and a weary and an unpredictable human world, is the basis of the prayers that we then make to God. And friends, this is actually the hard work of theology. So often in church, we think that the work of theology is reading thick and dense textbooks. And certainly theology requires that and involves that. There's knowledge to be gained. But knowledge never simply ends there in a book. It never ends in a proposition. It never just simply ends in a statement. Because the hard work of theology is that we have to transpose all of that knowledge into active trust, especially in the middle of anxiety and uncertainty and unpredictable situations. And friends, this is the hard work that we face this year. And it's the gift that all the troubles and the difficulties of this year present to you and it presents to me. It's the challenge of taking what we know, that God is light, God is salvation, God is refuge, that God is a shelter for us. And it's working that out and working it into the the soil of our hearts and trusting God. Verse 5, for he will hide me in his shelter. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. That is the confidence that underlies the one who turns to God and trusts him. And friends, this is the confidence that we have to have. That yes, we belong to God in Jesus. That God has made us his own. That God has sent Jesus into the world. And that Jesus has come and he suffered on our behalf. But not only has he suffered, he has been raised, vindicated. He has defeated sin and evil and death. And because he now stands at God's right hand, we are welcomed there with bold and confident access. That we are welcomed in God's presence. That we've been granted a righteousness that's not our own. And it is that confident confession of faith that then spurs us on to trust this God. That he has committed himself to us in Christ. And so we can commit ourselves to him in active trust in prayer. Verse 10 captures it beautifully where David speaks of father and mother forsaking him. 
But then he says, the Lord will take me in. The confidence that God will always hear him, that God welcomes his son and his daughter home. Why? Because he has made them son and daughter. He has committed himself to them. And so in waiting, we actively entrust ourselves to God. It's not something we do once back then and there in our lives, but it is the day over day. It is the continual again and again, entrusting ourselves to God in confidence that he takes us in. The second aspect of this waiting is that we must learn to seek God in worship. Verse 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What's critical for us to catch here is that in the midst of all the uncertainty of this psalm, is that David organizes his priorities. He knows what is necessary for life, and what does he say is necessary for life? It is to go to the temple. This is the church of the Old Testament. It's to gather with God's people. You see, it wasn't just a private devotional activity. No, it was to be with all the gathered people, and there he's going to engage with God. But he understands that trust in God is nurtured and it's sustained through participation in that corporate form of worship. That God has designed it this way for you and for me, for each of us, that this is the way that we are to nurture our faith. That we need one another and we need one another together in prayer. We need one another together in worship. We need one another together in learning. It's not simply a personal project. And David says that he would be granted, he asked to be granted to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Of course, this doesn't mean that he is going to take up permanent residence in the temple, pulling him away from the affairs of the world. It's not the way to understand it. But what he is saying is it speaks of the continuing return the continuing return week over week, Sabbath by Sabbath, in which we're nurtured by God. It is actually a prayer for our lives to be shaped by that rhythm and by that encounter. And that faithful waiting always involves this corporate engagement, being amongst God's people and rejoicing with them and listening. And there's two things in particular in verse 4, though, that are flagged for us that happen as we gather as a corporate people. First, we gaze upon God's beauty. If you look at the second half of the verse, he simply says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. But what exactly does it mean to gaze upon God's beauty? We know that God doesn't reveal himself in that visible expression. And so, what does it mean for us to come and to corporately then gaze upon God's beauty? This concept is introduced three times to us in the Psalms. You can find it in Psalm 90 and also in 135 and here. But the beauty of God in those three Psalms becomes clear that the beauty of God is God's favor to us. Because this is how God reveals himself. 
He reveals himself in his works, what he does on behalf of his creatures, in his works of creation, in his works of redemption. This is where we come to know the character of God. And so we gaze upon the beauty of God as we contemplate all of his ways with us in Jesus, how he's been gracious and loving, all of his purposes that have been revealed for our world, all the favor that he's shown us in daily life, the ways that he's forgiven our sins. We contemplate all of this, and as we do so, we are considering the beauty of God. And so this is why we come in songs and in hymns, in sermons and in readings, in prayers and in supplications, we come to meditate upon all of these things. The beauty of God given to us in Jesus. But second, as we gather, we also see in verse 4 that we come to inquire after God's way, to meditate in his temple. And in uncertainty, this is one of those things that's easy for us to overlook. But the simple fact is that in those unpredictable circumstances, we need to be taught by God. It's there that we must not harden ourselves in anxiety or in anger. No, it's precisely there that we need to become supple and teachable to inquire after God's instruction. Verse 11 captures it beautifully for us in this prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Lead me, God. Teach me. Show me your truth. Guide me safely to your holy hill. Friends, this is what it looks like to seek after God in worship. And in the midst of waiting, these are the two native instincts of the child of God. It is that we call upon him because we're free to do so in Jesus. That Jesus, the true son, welcomes us into God's presence and he frees us. And so don't harden yourself. Don't find yourself wasting your time in anxious fret or in anger or in stoic indifference. Go to God and ask for help in the middle of all adversity. And then seek after God. Come with his people. Inquire in his temple. Ask to be taught by him. And gaze upon his beauty. Contemplate all of his ways. That the one who was rich, he became poor. That we through his poverty might become rich. We can inquire upon that for a lifetime and never exhaust it. And it is in those reflections, those meditations, that we're gazing upon the very beauty of God. And as we learn to wait in this way, we'll find that this waiting is far from passive. It's not simply rolling over and taking life that is encouraged when we're instructed to wait upon God. Rather, in verse 6, we learn that this waiting has a particular characteristic. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Yes, this waiting is not passive. It's not silent. 
brimming with confidence, it turns to thanksgiving. It turns to sacrifices made in and through Jesus Christ. And it turns to singing and making melody. You see, this waiting people, they are a thankful people. They are people filled with gratitude, knowing with confidence that in Jesus Christ, God is light and God is salvation. God is shelter. God is shield. And that God will surely take us in. And so all the chaos of this year and all the uncertainty live in this strong confidence. And through that confidence, go to God, ask him for help, and seek him. Seek my face, your face, Lord, do we seek. Let's pray. Father, we do ask for your help. In all the confusion of our lives, and the uncertainty, the unpredictableness, the loss of this year, we need to be directed by you. And so as we inquire in your temple today, as we come to you, we ask that you would teach us your way. And we ask God that you would grant us to gaze upon your beauty, to consider all that you've done in Jesus Christ on our behalf. And that in the consideration of these things, that we may call upon you for help. Grant us to do that hard work of theology as we wait. Teach us to wait well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.